You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina. Hello and welcome along to the Cycling Podcast Feminine. My name is Rose Manley and, well, the road racing season has truly begun. We've had some fantastic races already. But before I go any further, I need to introduce my guest this episode. Now, Denny Gray of the British Continental, I did promise you a big intro and I've totally failed to do one, but you're here, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, I am here. Yeah, thank you for that amazing introduction, Rose. Phil, my ego's been uh, sufficiently pumped now. Uh, no, I'm here. I'm. I was telling all off air that I'm. I'm just coming off the back of a chest cold. Uh, so forgive me if I cough and splutter at, on occasion. But um, it's a long season. Uh, my targets are kind of further down the road. So uh, <laughs> taking it day by day. Day, by day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Denny's already ruined the su- surprise, uh, <laughs> sort of surprise, other guest, which was Orla Shenoui. <laughs> that was ruined by Denny. Was like, oh yeah, and Orla said. Blah, blah, blah. So no um, big up, Denny, you're back. and you're being slagged off as well. I am back. Yes, yes. Hello, I love to be back. I. Um, I've been busy, haven't I? Not able to join in with every single episode of the Cycling Podcast Femina in the last little while, which is a big regret of mine. But it's because I'm um, keeping myself busy with other things. So I've taken on rugby in the last couple of months for TNT Sports, and that takes up a lot of time. And it's going to continue a little bit. And then I've got a hugely busy year with um, Olympics and whatnot, as well as uh, all the other normal road racing. So just to say, just to explain my absence, really, because a few people have been asking about it. It's not because I've left the Cycling Podcast Feminine or I'm going anywhere. It's more that I'm desperately trying to prioritise it in the months that work. And there's some months that simply don't, unfortunately. But I'm here as and when I can be and when you guys will allow me to be, basically. So it's lovely to be back. <laughs> well, we're, all, we're, we're always uh, delighted to have you here, Orla. So the, obviously the door is always open uh, to you whenever you can uh, make it back on. And we should say this is actually Orla Shenoui and we shouldn't um, do like the Sinisca cycling. I don't know if anyone saw this story, an American Conti team, which oh. uh, <laughs> when they lined up for a race, they just put a mechanic in the rider's outfit and pretend, made them pretend mm. to be sign on as a rider. We could always do that, obviously, on the months that you're not here, Orla. Just have a dummy. Um, couldn't we? Yeah, you could. Yeah, just have just, pre- just <laughs> have a local bike shop person. <laughs> just pretend you know, I've gone face mask uncharacteristically on. quiet. Just saying nothing <laughs> yeah. the whole hour. Yeah. <laughs> not sure anyone will just believe in order, that. <laughs> just to try and get the programme uh, done. That's what yeah. we have to... Um, do but uh, yeah, that was a, a story that that was one of those stories um, that you know the UCI have suspended a few members of the Sinisca Conti team uh, because of that, and that was one of those s- cycling stories that is so cycling mm. it doesn't happen in other sports, and it was also one of those things where I had loads of friends suddenly messaging me this story, you know, like <laughs> glad to see that cycling exposure is growing and <laughs> yeah. people really involved in it. <laughs> they only love these obviously like, ridiculous for the stories. random nuggets, yeah. <laughs> Which, which is such a shame, of course, when there has been so much uh, fantastic race that we've already had. And I should uh, also flag up now that coming up in this episode is also uh, the second of our little mini features. Last uh, month, we did one about New Zealand cycling and, you know, how that is growing. Uh, the sport's growing over there. And um, today we've got one uh, about motherhood and racing. Obviously, we've got quite a few riders uh, returning to the peloton uh, from maternity leave and... Uh, Ellen van Dyke will be coming back very uh, soon. She would have been very useful, I think, to Lidl Trek, wouldn't she, at the weekend at Omloop Het Newsblad, which was, of course, won by Mariana Voss. I mean... On debut. Yeah, on debut. Yeah, I love how many times that was rolled out. It's like, I don't think we need to act like Mariana Voss is a totally inexperienced rider. Yeah, I don't think it was the win that was a surprise. It was the debut bit that was a surprise. The fact she's never ridden it, I couldn't believe that. Well, you know, it was was, uh, one of those, like, crazy wonderful wins because we've become become so accustomed to seeing the old SD works just steamroller their way to these victories now and I've and I am so conscious of not starting every episode with a how do we beat SD works because I think we've done that for many seasons now just kind of every episode how do we beat them but it was phenomenal Orla wasn't it to see uh well none other than the greatest of all time 
taking that win, having had such trouble last season with, you know, iliac artery surgery and, you know, not looking on her best form last season and coming back in such style. Yeah, it was absolute perfection, really, wasn't it? And there are a few riders that I would have wished to have had in that final foursome, actually, along with Elisa Longoborghini and Sheeran Van Anroy. And obviously you want someone like Lotte Capecchi in there as well, so that it is a desperate sprint to the line. But for Mariana Voss, who taken that win, oh, it's, she's just so exceptional in so many ways. And obviously, one of the one of the very uh, demonstrable ways that she is exceptional is her win rate, you know, and over how many years. That was her 249th road win alone. But I think she's also exceptional in that every time she wins, we all cheer. And it's interesting mm. when you talk about the... SD worksification really of not just women's racing but our narrative around women's racing and I think every neutral fan is a little bit guilty of very obviously we will be celebrating the Demi Vollerings and the Lorena Vivas and the Lotte Capecchi wins however we're extra glad when someone else can manage to beat them and I think for someone like Mariana Voss who won for such a long time across so many races and so many disciplines and still Still, for it to be a thrill, not just for her, as she was clearly delighted when she crossed the line, but for all of us watching, that is such a testament to the class and, and grace that she has carried throughout her career. And every time, I mean, like every time she wins, I get emotional. And, and partly as well, because you think maybe this is near the end of her career. How much longer can we enjoy Mariana Voss wins for? Well, come on. I mean, she just doesn't stop. And it, it was just a truly phenomenal, phenomenal race win and I think we all needed it even though it's early season given the UAE tour that we'd had and the SD Works almost dominance there we, I think we all needed to see a completely different dynamic in a bunch coming into the line and Lidl Trek and Mariana Voss gave that to us so it was just brilliant brilliant and it's funny wasn't it Denny because we were also talking uh, with Becca on the last episode, um, you know, about the Australian races and uh, how Sarah Gigante was saying she was kind of washed up and I kind of put forward Mariana Voss as not a washed up rider, of course, that's <laughs> totally insulting. But the fact that there's been a few times mm. in the past of Mariana Voss's career where we've thought uh, that's kind of the end of her dominance or, that you know, that's the end of her winning, winning um, period and, and now she's kind of uh, finished with that. But, you know, she's come back again and, and just started... I mean, we, we had the warning signs because in Valenciana she had kind of two second places where that's where she started the season and she was kind of uh you know second place amongst all the sprinters and then the next day she was second placed amongst all the kind of more classicy riders so those were kind of warning shots but then to to see her take the win in Omloop is like a and beat Lottie Kopecky who is like the rider of the moment is like another step up isn't it in some ways yeah it was it was incredible to watch I completely agree and as you say, it would have been easy to write her off. I mean, I know that we do this time again, time and time again in the media. We write top cyclists off at our peril, and they come back and kind of it bites us in the face. But it was a it was a fantastic ride, and I think what I enjoyed about it most was just her composure throughout the race. You know, we all kind of laud Lotta Kopecky's racecraft, but Mariana Voss was uh, got it completely right, didn't she? I mean, there were I mean there were a few instances that struck me I mean there were some accelerations from Lotta Kopecky on some of the climbs where I think Kopecky thought she would have the best of her rivals but Voss stuck to her wheel like glue and that must have given Voss enormous confidence that she was in the right place but I think the moment that really struck me was about 4k to go when obviously Van Anroy and uh, Longo Borghini were taking turns attacking uh, and Van Anroy went Voss followed her. Kopecky hesitated and there was a gap that opened up. And uh, Voss could have worked with Van Anroy. She, she, she didn't have to back her sprint. She could have thought, well, actually, I want to get away from Kopecky here. But she didn't. She let Van Anroy do the work. Uh, she saved her powder, seemingly very confident that she could win that sprint. Uh, obviously, she's an excellent sprinter, but Kopecky is a very fast finisher too. So I just think it was just a beautifully composed uh, race from Voss that just showed her class and experience and the fact that her legs are, are back to her best too. I think that Voss really frustrated yeah. Lotte Kopecky. Yeah, it was rare you to saw see it. that. Yeah. 
Which is, yeah, exactly, because, you know, they're both, you think they're very cool customers, but it was kind of like 9K to go and, and Vossa and Kapeki are talking to each other and Kapeki's kind of throwing her arms up, like, you know, what are you doing? And then, you know, as you watch them move, then Kapeki, when she was getting frustrated, she kind of then, uh, I think Longo Borghini had gone off at that point and then Kapeki like did a, you know, massive... Uh, acceleration to kind of catch up with uh, Longo Borghini as if she was really frustrated and kind of like, well, I'll do it then. And I think she was getting a little bit kind of hot-headed and losing a call a little bit and just meant that she was using up much more energy that she needed to do. And you could tell Mariana Voss was not really interested in what Lidl Trek were doing at all. She was just watching what Kapeki was doing. If Kapeki was doing something, then Voss was on her wheel. And earlier in the race, when Vollering was doing something, Voss was on her wheel. But, you know, every time they're kind of in that four coming towards the line, Voss is always looking at Kapeki, always looking at Kapeki. And Kapeki, to be honest, was always looking at Voss, even though you had these two Lidl Trek riders with them, who you would think it was kind of up to them to kind of make or break the, the race there. I guess that makes sense whenever you've got the two fastest finishers in the form of Mariana Voss and mm. um, Lotte Kopecky. But I would really love for us to doff our collective hats to Lidl Trek in all of this because we have spent so long preaching to collectively to the teams, haven't we, saying you've got to be willing to lose in order to beat SD Works. And that is a really hard thing, I think, for any team to actually believe in and enact on the road. And I think Lidl Trek did that brilliantly. And they did lose, if you like. They didn't get the first two steps of the podium, um, third and fourth. Um but they were willing to do that in order to take the race on. And we don't get to see very much of that. And I've and I've said for a long time now, I think Lidl Trek are one of the few teams that will brave that. And it's what we're begging for. And what I really liked as well was in the interviews afterwards, that that's what they acknowledged. They came here with a game plan that was fluid on the road, but they enacted what they had set out to do while changing it on the go. And they rode a really, really good race. And the fact that it didn't pay off for the win wasn't as important as riding that good race. And that, to me, is really encouraging for the season ahead. And also, what I loved was uh, Cassia Neviadoma's reaction to the stage results. Because at the end, she said, you know what, I didn't have the legs, but I'm so glad that Mariana won. I'm so happy for her. And she also referenced the two Lidl Trek riders, Elise Longobrogini, Sharon Van Onroy, saying how, how happy she was that they had ridden the race that they had and finished third and fourth. And that feels to me like a little bit of a microcosmic narrative of where we are in women's racing right now, where maybe we are getting a form of very loose, maybe just emotional alliances between the teams in trying to take down the dominance of SD Works. And for Cassia to express her delight at, at Mariana winning, that gives a little bit of a mentality of us against them. And that is what it's going to take to be able to beat SD Works. And it has worked, really, because not only was Lotta beaten, but she was frustrated. And that's incredibly rare to see and she wasn't even necessarily frustrated just by Mariana who ended up with the win the reason I feel it's, it worked at Omelette Pet Newsblad is not only because Lotta Kopecky was beaten but because she was frustrated she was clearly getting annoyed at how these riders were upsetting her game plan and that SD Works weren't able to ride it the way they usually do which is with utter dominance and setting back and letting others do the work so that for me is hugely encouraging because it means that they're shakeable and we've seen them shaken now and they might go on them in the next five races and then I'll, I'll, you know, keep my mouth closed. But it's very encouraging, I think. I don't want to be totally contrary here but. because there was a lot of praise for Lidl Trek. Don't, but don't. I just think that if you, if you have two out of... Okay, imagine if SD Works had two out of four of the riders yeah. coming into the finish... We would not be heaping praise on them for finishing of course not, third and fourth. I think we're, we're kind of like acting as if we're kind of buying, by saying that, we're kind of buying into the idea that SD Works are sort of almost like this titanic, unbeatable, uh, you know, thing that we, you know, just can't get around. I just feel like Lidl Trek is the, you know... I understand that. Lisa Longo Borghini spent a lot, they both spent, you know, spent a lot of energy getting to that position. They were both kind of consistently uh, attacking. And obviously, yes, it's great that they were in contention at the end. But to not come away with the 
but I think they were. Is... I, I, I would. I'm, I'm with Ola on this one. I think they were prepared to lose yeah. the race, and I think so often you see actually those kind of attacks do pay off because if Voss and Kopecki are marking each other. It only takes a moment's hesitation between, you know, the two of them, for the two of them to kind of have a standoff and go, I'm not chasing that rider. And the other one say, no, I'm not either. You do it. Uh, one goes up, you know, Longo Borghini goes up the road and and it could be game over. So I don't, and, and you know, it's entertaining. I mean, I, I, I also don't think actually that, uh, Van Anroy and Longo Borghini had the legs to beat either Capecchi or Voss in they the tried. Sprint, so the They tried they to lose to them over and over and over again and I think we, we can't criticise their their intention and their ambition and they, uh, this is No, no, I'm not, no, no, not no, their no, ambition I'm not criticising their ambition But, this is, but, this but is I'm what just saying that you know, with the whole situation when we talk about um Teams and riders being willing to lose it, the race in order to try to win it. We had exactly the same debate, by the way, in our studio, in the breakaway studio. And we started the day by saying that's exactly what the teams need to do. And then we finished the day with some of the team. And if you watch it, you might know who. Sort of criticising Needle Trek and, and saying the same point that you're making, really, Rose, which is an entirely valid one. However, what do we want? What do, what is going to make us as no, fans yeah. happy? Do we want attacking racing? We got it. Do we want teams to beat SD Works? We got it. Do we want anyone other than SD Works to take advantage of another team's dynamics? We got it. And so if you are the DS of Lidl Trek, are you happy? Well, they were actually. And I get why. I get why. Because they had a plan. They executed it. And sometimes that plan doesn't work. Sometimes you've got Marianne Voss and Lotte Kopecki that you've got to take on. And that's that's really difficult. But they put themselves in a position to be able to win the race. And that's as much as you can do. And then how it plays out is kind of just the draw of the day, you know. Uh, but I really think if we're going to be serious about saying this is what, how we want teams to race it. And we want it for entertainment value, but we also want it for their sake to be able to try to win a race. Then we stay true to that whenever they've done it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just feel like we're kind of judging all the teams on a, you know, on a kind of an a, you know, yeah, a for effort to Lidl Trek. But you know, well, okay. I mean, can I ask a question could... then? Surely, if the be- they could, a better ride, different, a different couple of riders, I think in the finish, like if they had managed to got Balsamo there, they would surely have had a a, a better chance at that point. Or if you know, I, I don't know, if they hadn't have done quite so. So many attacks are done, you know. But again, like made of, <laughs> we don't know what's I know, in the impo- legs. I know they're, they're trying to lose to the fastest finishers in the world. If they didn't try to lose them, they would be criticising them. But my question to you then is: when we say teams have to be willing to lose a race in order to win it, do we mean comma and then they have to win it, or is the full stop there? Because <laughs> if the full stop is there, then they did it. However, if that's if if there's another sub clause then it changes everything entirely because actually our end point is not that they have to be willing to disrupt the race. The end point is they have to be able to win it. But one comes before guess, the other. I know, but it's, I guess it's also a balance between... Obviously, it was, so, it was such an entertaining race. It was a fantastic race. It's a great spectacle. I guess the balance is between a great spectacle and maybe um, them winning. I don't know. I just, I just thought if it had been SD Works... Two SC Works riders in that four, there's there's no way they wouldn't have won it. And we should be thinking that Lidl Trek are, you know, everyone considers Lidl Trek to be SD Works' kind of greatest rivals in terms of the strength and depth they're of the team. They're not equal. They're not the same teams with the same momentum and the same winning history. They're not. Lidl Trek are actually coming off quite a difficult period, really. You know, they've they've... I mean, they're still like top two, top three in the world as they have been as they have been the last couple of years. But they've missed out on some big, big wins. You know, when you look at their Tour de France Feminin, for example, of the last two seasons, they've not performed on the biggest stage of them all in a way that a team of their caliber would want them to. And so, and so, we shouldn't be judging them in the same, same way as SD Works. We shouldn't. That's that's nonsense, really, because no, but no nonsense. No, no team, no team can be judged in the same criteria as SD Works. That's the point. Not the same. No. And so, of course, if SD no, works I... in two team, two riders in that final four, of course you'd expect them to, to win. Not because they've got two riders there, but because they're two SD Works riders. And they have shown time and time again that they can and do win with lots of different riders and lots of diff- different scenarios. But a Canyon Shram with two riders, a Lidl Trek, no other team with two riders in that finale should be judged in the same way that an SD Works would be judged. Because one would be a success and the other is a failure. I, 
I also think Lidl Trek, uh, Lidl Trek you know, I, I think, I guess we're all concentrating on the last few kilometres of the race, but yeah, the, mm. the, they're the ones who got those two riders in the front four yeah. because Longo yeah. Borghini was prepared to risk things and attacked kind of earlier on in the race. And Van Anroy, who actually was only came in, was only picked for the team two days before because I think Bodie Chapman was uh, c- couldn't race. So she wasn't even there. So I think, you know, I think we have to give them a lot of credit. Okay, they came third and fourth. But I mean, if you're going to say any team that didn't win it is a failure, then every team was a, was a failure <laughs> apart from... Vies uh, uh, Melissa Bike. Uh, I can't even get... The, thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, yeah, I, 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 can, I, can, I think it's easy as well in a race to criticise team tactics kind of after the event. But when you're kind of in the thick of the action... And and there was a lot going on in that race. There were a lot of crashes, uh, probably things we didn't catch on on the screen as well. Where so to to be able to be at the pointy end of that race with two riders, I think is really promising for that team after the relatively bad year they had. However, Rose, season. I will say I'm very glad that you do are taking that stance. I am because if we were all sitting here saying what a great job Lidl Trek did, then that would make me uncomfortable as well because you are right. You know, you are right that normally, given a race situation like that, you'd expect them to be able to finish at the very least second, but certainly they should have a better chance of the podium uh, of the the win. Um, So I'm glad you're saying it because, but it allows me to double down in my stance. (laughs) I think both sides are entirely valid is really what I'm trying to say. And it's important to have both sides of the conversation because otherwise we are in danger of patronising the rest of the peloton, which they don't Mm. deserve. It'd be a very short episode as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. Um, well, you know, we, sh- we should say that I think that uh, Lidl Trek, perhaps the thing that they were missing was uh, an, uh, a big engine, a rider like Ellen van Dyke, who we are, will be seeing uh, coming back. I think it's next week. She's um, going to start doing some races in uh, Spain. Um, she'll be returning from maternity leave. And obviously, uh, Ellen van Dijk is one of um, quite a few riders, actually, who are returning or have returned uh, from maternity leave recently. So I use that as quite a good little uh, chance to look into uh, motherhood uh, and racing for our second mini feature of the year. And uh, let's hear it now. I'm very good at kind of being in the race. I don't think about the children when I'm in the race. Um, obviously, I think about them around it, but when I've got a number on my back, I'm very good at being able to focus. All I did come to the Glasgow World Championships and it was really, really special to have her there because as a five-year-old, she finally kind of understood what I was doing and she kept saying, why do all these people know your name? And it was really, <laughs> it was really funny. And then that night we drove home, I drove all home and her iPad stopped working and anyone knows like a three and a half hour drive with an iPad stopped working and a five-year-old after a world championship so I was like this is me back down to earth with a bang. Even for athletes at the very top of their game like Lizzie Dynan, parenthood can be as messy and humbling as it is for the rest of us. Dynan was one of the first road racers to make a full return post-baby but many have followed in her footsteps since. Joss Loudon of Uno X made her return to racing this season after the birth of baby Theo. Theo's just nearly eight months old. I'm still getting around my head around the fact that I'm a mum. I started with one day in Mallorca where I felt like Bambi on ice and was a bit of a shock to the system. Being away from Theo for the first time, it was quite a, a lot to take in. I had a bit of a, an issue with not packing my breast pump and my boobs going absolutely nuts in how much milk they suddenly decided to start producing even though I was barely still feeding Theo at this point. That was an interesting experience. There's nothing really quite prepares you for being completely back in the peloton again until you actually do it, which is why stage racing is is nice for that, even though it is obviously harder logistically, emotionally to be away for time like that. Only a few years ago, combining motherhood and racing was a practically uncharted prospect. Olympian Kristen Armstrong effectively had to retire to have her son before she made a comeback for gold at London 2012. And Marta Bastianelli was another rare returnee. In 2018, it was no surprise that Dynan's name topped the roster for Trek Segafredo's new women's team. What marked her signing out, however, was that she was already six months pregnant and would be paid before even turning a pedal for them. In so many people's eyes, I was just a cyclist. And that was a bit of a shock. I thought, oh gosh, there's more to me than that. And, you know, how disappointing that me entertaining you is more important than me being happy. 
but I don't think it was. I think it was just sometimes people say things without really thinking them through and, you know, it takes a little while to settle in and... Yeah, I felt quite sad about that in the beginning. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is amazing news. Like, it was really like, oh, well, what are you going to do? And funnily enough, it was actually my grandma, who was probably 80 at the time. He was like, wow, amazing, congratulations. So how long will you need to take off? You know, and her, she, was, she just hadn't even considered that I'd be retiring. I suppose it was daunting because I didn't have really any role models that I knew of who had sort of at the kind of top of their game stepped away from it. I, at the time, um, was an ambassador for a company at the same time as Jessica Ennis and I'd seen what she was able to achieve and I suppose I kind of hidden my hopes on what she'd achieved and therefore sort of thought, can I transfer it across to cycling? It was an unprecedented move from the American squad and one that's helped shape a new narrative for women's rights. Not just in cycling, but in sport more generally. Dynan's agent, Emma Wade. Credit to Trek, we knew that that was in their plan to set up a women's team. And we were like, well, maybe now's the time. You know, Lizzie can be the centrepiece of this, but also you've got a unique opportunity here to really show the way that women's cycling should and can go, in that you can take on a, a pregnant athlete who you believe in support her through that pregnancy you know have her as part of the team and help shape the team and what that's going to look like because it was brand new she doesn't need to be riding a bike to do that there's so much more knowledge and, and and you know so much more she can bring to a team than just riding a bike so um they really got that and they ran with it and they thought it was amazing and good for them and it was it was obviously it was a great story for them at the time um but it was also yeah, it was amazing for Lizzie. And, and of course, what it did is it, it just brought her absolute dedication to that team forevermore. It's not grateful. I don't think we should ever be grateful for these things because actually we should have them. They should be there. But it is also an understanding that they did go out on a limb for her effectively and took a risk because it wasn't something that had been done before. But good for them. And, you know, didn't that work well? Coming back and winning, you know, the Women's Tour on Parry Bay, the first ever, you know, Women's Parry Bay. It's paid it back in spades for Trek. And they have a relationship that we'll see her, you know, through her career, I'm sure. It's true that Dynan was the first real example of a cyclist being supported through maternity by her team. For riders past, the options would have been unpaid leave and then fight for a new contract. Or, as in the case of Meg Backstead, mother of riders Eleanor and Zoe, end her career before even considering starting a family. It, was, it wasn't her at all. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah, I stopped and then... And then had the family um, because, yeah, there wasn't... I didn't even think about <laughs> trying to come back because I didn't think it was a possibility. I mean, I could never have made money to support myself, let alone supporting a child and things. I mean, I did stop cycling before I fell pregnant. And so, you know, I had sort of stopped that anyway. Um, but it was all very much a no-no, although you can't can't exercise when you're pregnant it's like no no no. just think about the baby and what you're putting the baby through you know whereas now it's like no you just you know ride up until you know you you do it to your own body's capabilities here's emma wade again i do think there is something around the research that's being done about um post-pregnancy uh strength and extra endurance and Ability to withstand pain, dare I say, that um, I think a lot of uh, women experience, a lot of top top um, athletes and, and various sports now who've proven that it's not only possible to come back after having a child, but actually you, you can even come back even stronger, which is really exciting. And therefore a good prospect, I would hope, for a lot of women to think it doesn't matter if I have a baby, I can still come back and win races in my late 30s. Great. Not only does research point to the possibility of athletes returning stronger than before, the working conditions for World Tour racers have been set into the UCI's legal framework since 2020, granting them eight months paid maternity leave. Even so, a return to the peloton isn't for everyone. Let's hear from Dynan's former teammate, Abby Van Twisk. I knew it was an option for people like Lizzie. Obviously, I've ridden on a team with her for two years by then. But then, you know, for like the non-superstars of the peloton, like, is it really an option? Everything kind of changed after I gave birth to my kind of everything goes into perspective. And I think it was the solid decision came after I had him and I was like, no, it's not really something I want to do at all, in fact. So I think that was the moment. I just wanted to be a mum at that time and like 
that was all consuming for me completely saw that as kind of enough for me like my capacity but also and like fulfillment wise that was enough I mean it was a crazy switch because like being an athlete you're thinking about yourself the whole time how to better yourself your performance your ability and then obviously it's a big contrast into motherhood even if the emotional desire to return to the peloton is there logistical physical and financial factors have to be carefully balanced gosh um i think as as most parents know every stage is different and difficult for different reasons uh the physical challenge of bringing my body back from pregnancy twice has been really difficult particularly the second time around because pregnancy second time around was so much harder i thought having a newborn was hard and actually having a 5 year old who is got emotional needs now when i go away she understands that i'm leaving and that's quite difficult to manage now and I, you know every month there's something else that is a challenge i suppose so looking at like the next race ahead uh the four day stage race in normandy but four days of racing is actually like away for six days and trying to then manage who helps with theo um during that time when dan's got work is just that's just really really challenging uh and i don't actually have the answer yet <laughs> and then emotionally is also really tough because you don't have to have genuine rational worries to be emotionally challenged by being away i don't have any worries about theo he's in really good hands but my you know hormones my body everything is the way it is and programmed to not want to neglect and abandon my baby so therefore i feel stressed panicky anxious about doing exactly that about going away i don't think you can really understand it until you've experienced it yourself i definitely didn't think that i would find it like so such an emotional like pull to be away and like to, to like, miss my baby um and i think it's just yeah until you're experiencing it experience it it's just you just don't you just don't understand it i think even if i hadn't had a baby and i just had this time off i would be feeling like a different rider yeah i'm hoping that i'll be able to come back as a better rider um feel like the time I, i'm in the races like you want a result more than anything maybe a bit hungrier for it to make it really really worthwhile Like expectant parents, cycling fans are eagerly awaiting the re-emergence of former time trial world champion Ellen van Dijk. She's back to racing this spring after having her baby last October. I'm just delighted I had my children first because <laughs> if she's the example that everyone has to follow then we're all in trouble. Uh, I mean she absolutely breezed through pregnancy. I think it was like carrying a rucksack for her. It was literally like no big deal. She had no symptoms and was able to train really well and yeah straight back into it and she's you know she was on the summer training camp flying and yeah she's inspirational and phenomenal but i would say she is setting the bar extremely high and i would never have been able to do the things that she's done pregnant in in the way that pregnancy affected me so it's it's quite insightful to see how different it is for everybody uh, in parenthood but also in my situation and anyone watching my situation is that it might look like i've got it all together and i'm balanced and all the rest but <laughs> i'm certainly not keeping balance all the time and i would hate for anyone to think gosh how has she got back to fitness or done that and it's like well it is my full time job my husband is a full time father i'm in an exceptionally privileged position and i would hate for any new mums to be being too hard on themselves because it is a long process and you have to have patience um and it's possible for everyone but at their own speed so i think it's really important to try not to compare yourself to anybody else or their pregnancy or their motherhood journey because every baby is different as well so <laughs> it's very different for everybody Well that was the second of our mini features that one about uh, motherhood and uh, I just want to say how great also it was to hear from Abby Van Twist there because I think we do sometimes it's so easy to get swept up into the kind of superwoman holding it all together you know professional woman racing and looking after a family and it's nice to you know hear a few different perspectives because it is such a motherhood is such a personal thing and pregnancy is also such a personal thing and uh you know what is right for one person or what motivates one person what someone wants one person wants to do is not what everyone wants to do but all there isn't it such a wonderful thing that we have uh, this structure now that allows women to take uh, maternity leave and to have the option if they want to to come back uh, and to continue with their their careers 
It's so essential because it's such a sensitive and personal issue, isn't it? Um, whether you want to be a mother, how you time that around your career, whatever your career is. And it's a really difficult balance to juggle. So it's really important that these riders are also encouraged to keep racing in a way that's um, healthy for their body, that's conducive to becoming pregnant as well, because it used to be, and, and I guess there's probably still a lot of talk within professional racing that if you are still having your periods, for example, that you're being unprofessional, that you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And I think showing that you can still go through the whole cycle of womanhood, motherhood and have a professional career is only a healthy thing. I think it's also, as you say, with Abby, um, it being in all of that, I think that's really important because you can look at the likes of, well, I'm not going to name any names, but any professional racer who comes back as a mother and maybe does really well in a racing for example you might think well they're a superhero that's amazing that's what I aspire to and if you don't get to that you could feel like an utter failure and actually it's really important to remember that motherhood is genuinely in my mind and, and there are lots of versions of fatherhood that are comparable but certainly in terms of giving over your entire body, not just for the nine, 10 months of growing a child, but then trying to get some sort of a rhythm back to your cycle and your hormones and your head as well as your, your body. It's, so, it's, it's the hardest job that there, that there can be. And it's really important, I think, that, that riders also know that it's not a case of like, just let's just take time out. Let's just smash out a baby and get back on the bike again. It's really difficult. It's really difficult. It's why we give such credit to the woman who managed to do it and achieve it. I think we shouldn't polish over that by saying, oh, they're just superheroes. You know, we, we have to acknowledge on some level the insane difficulty, the emotional, the physical difficulty of what it is that they're trying to juggle and also give that space for the woman who decide that that's not their path to feel okay with it and that's their success as well such a complex story and and it always is around parenthood around motherhood and and that choice as to whether women want to do that or not but it's only positive that they have that option now and that it can be and is written into contracts because it's much healthier for society which means it's much healthier for the sport I thought also what I found kind of remarkable about doing the feature was the ways in which you know, having these structures in place to allow women to go away and have children and come back, having that that door open uh, to them actually improves, you know, the strength and depth of cycling because you kind of retain riders uh, for longer. So, you know, whether you're a rider who wants children, a family or not, actually uh, having this structure in place improves the sport because you know you the, the riders can have more longevity you know if you think about uh, you know how short a and any athlete's career is and then you want to take out of that a chunk of that time you know to to have a family it becomes not a very um doesn't become like a, a, a very appealing option when you are a, a, a teenager to think, oh, well, you know, what's my maximum length of my career here? What, 10 years? You know, do I want to put everything uh, into that? So I thought what was um, so interesting was the ways in which um, it was improving the sport uh, and making it more appealing and making and effectively, therefore, making the racing better and more competitive. Uh, because, you know, as as we've seen, a lot of the riders that are at the top of their game are, you know, talking about Mariana Voss, you know, she's in her late 30s. Uh, Annemiek van Vluten has just uh, finished and, and she's 40. So we're actually seeing riders coming into their prime into their 30s. You know, they're not in their prime in their 20s like the men have been in recent seasons. Um, so I think that that is also such a vital um, thing to note that it isn't, it, it isn't just about the people who want to have families that are benefiting from it. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I mean, I, I don't have this, the lived experience that you guys do, but I think what, what strikes me is that, you know, it's obviously really, it's a, it's a great thing for women cycling that, um, you know, th this can happen now. That, that riders, some riders can have this choice. Uh, but it's also kind of highlights that there is this kind of gulf between the, the top tier of riders mm. and you know riders, say, riding for UCI continental teams who may not even get paid and certainly don't have any maternity leave rights in the same way that women's world tour teams have. Um, so, uh, you know, there is... It, it, there is still a way to go before we, we get to the position we, we, we want to have. Um, and it's 
it's interesting, although I think you're right to point out the fact that, you know, this, this dichotomy between the need to have these kind of role models, these pioneers, the, those riders that who can give others the confidence that they they can follow the same same path but also it's as you say it's about enabling riders to have the choice to do what they want to do whether that's to you know end their careers and go away and have a family or to come back or to have a think about it whatever it is but at the moment we're not you know i think we should we should celebrate where we've got to but there's also recognize there's still a long way to go but it, I mean, it's also, uh, it shouldn't go without saying also that it's not just up to the athlete themselves. Obviously, they have huge support structures, you know, family uh, partners um, that, you know, that not all riders have those conditions that, that mean that they can um, continue on. And also the teams. Yeah, it was so interesting when I was kind of working on this feature, I was talking to Nicola Cranmer, who runs the 2024 team, which is a, you know, Conti team out in the States. And she was saying that they have a rider there, Marley's Majas, who's been a Cuban rider, who's been winning loads of races last year. And she has a four-year-old and, you know, she brings her four-year-old along with the team and the team support that. And, you know, she just hangs out with the kind of staff while the race is going on. And then uh, at the finish of the race, the, they're reunited. And if you go on there, tw- the team 2024 Instagram, then it's just full of these glorious little pictures with this little uh, girl with her mother, you know, on the podium and and celebrating all of these wins. So it is kind of vital that we acknowledge how much support has to uh, go into um, even still now uh, supporting mothers in their return to racing. Well, uh, of course, as I've already mentioned, we're expecting uh, Ellen van Dijk, um, who is a, a new mum herself, to come back soon. Uh, but for, before we see her on the top, top uh, level races, there are obviously, we've got Strada Bianchi coming up, for one thing. That's a bit of a, a major race. And actually, one of my favourite races of the year. And I think just with the way that the podcast always falls, I always feel like it falls at a time when we haven't just had Strada Bianchi, so we can't go on and on. Uh, about it but we did did see such I mean that really was one of the best races of last year wasn't it when we had Lotta Kopecky and Demi Vollering coming to the line uh, and perhaps uh, Lotta Kopecky putting up a little bit more of a fight for the win than Demi Vollering might have been um, expecting but that was kind of the start of that great rivalry but we might um, could say that that rivalry will continue this year couldn't we because we've seen Lotta Kopecky doing very demi volering e type things, haven't we, Denny, at the UAE tour? Um, kind of climbing where people weren't expecting her still to be uh, climbing, being extremely strong in the mountains. Yeah, well, uh, she put in an amazing performance, didn't she, uh, on Jabal Hafit? Uh, it was a kind of masterclass in climbing. And I think, from what I understand, she's she's she said in interviews that she's kind of lost a bit of weight over the winter with an aim of improving her climbing. Uh, clearly, that the She'd already put in that that really impressive performance, as Adam Bly said, I think, on the breakaway on that really long climb last year at the Tour de France Fam on the Tourmalet. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we knew she's she, she already knew, I guess she was capable of of, of those kind of performances on, on the longer climbs. But uh, but this really does set down a marker that she's uh, perhaps capable of some impressive performances beyond the classics. Uh, and into the Grand Tours this year. So I think that will be one to watch. And clearly, um, at the moment, uh, based only based on one race, of course, Demi Vollering seemed a little bit off the pace uh, at Nusblad. I mean, she was still in the top 10 and she was still up there, but perhaps not the Demi Vollering that we might get later on in the year when she's uh, uh, fully fit or fully on form. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens with those two riders, uh, Estrada Bianchi. Uh, but yes, going back to your question, Rose, uh, Kopecky, uh, I mean, she's just becoming a, a great kind of all-terrain bicyclist, isn't she? I mean, she can do the classics, she can climb, she can sprint, she can do the track. Uh, she's, I mean, apart from her, if it wasn't for the, her loss, as as if that's the right way to put it, uh, Omloop Het Nusblad, I think we would be, spending the whole of the podcast uh, just lauding her uh, lauding Lotte Kopecky. 
It's really funny, isn't it? Because when Anna van der Breda retired, we thought, who's going to take over her mantle? And then Annemiek van Vleuten does amazing things. And then we're thinking, who's going to take over her mantle? And already in her last season, Demi Vollering steps up a notch. And we think, well, who can possibly be rivaling Demi Vollering? Well, now on Jabba Hafeet, we're looking at her teammate, Lotte Kopecky, as being the next one. And we're so blessed, really, with the, the breadth and talent that we've got in this sport and, and the calibre of winners that we have I think it's going to be really interesting if you don't remember last year's Strada Bianca um, most listeners probably do but that was the finish where Demi Vollering clearly expected that Lotte Capecchi would have worked for her and with her and then allowed her to cross the line first she didn't Lotte Capecchi pushed right to the line and my colleagues who were out in Siena said they very clearly heard Demi Vollering drop a few curse words and visibly angry, upset with Lotte Capecchi. She then learned as she was live on Eurosport that she had won the race and that frown was flipped upside down and all the rest of it. And then afterwards we learned, oh, you know, there wasn't that much of a disharmony after all, whatever. Um, Now that Lotte looks like she's changing her training style slightly and trying to change her racing slightly, this is going to make it really interesting because one of the difficulties and one of the things they've done so well um, within SD Works is managing this breadth of talent and the calibre of winners and dividing up race opportunities amongst not just the Lorena Vivas's and the Losses and the Demis, but all the other, the rest of the team as well. How do you now give Demi her own race schedule where Lotta previously might not even have been in contention? How do you now try to even out that particular battle? And what's Further then adding to the spice of everything is that Lotta has announced that she is staying with SD Works until 2028. No such similar announcement from Demi Vollering. Instead, all the chatter filling that void is of her potentially considering a, a million euro deal to UAE Team Emirates, which I would probably do a jig and a cry about at the same time because that's exactly what women's racing needs but obviously she's staying silent on that but it does mean that this year is going to be really interesting because we see all the time when riders are leaving a team even if they've been the dominant rider on that team they get a little bit less support they get a little bit less love and it changes the dynamics in the entirety of the final year not just the last race you know so the dynamics is going to be really interesting for the course of this season and certainly for the first few races. I can't wait to see it. I know that's going to be a great one. But also maybe maybe we should be looking a little bit further afield. Uh, Denny, I know you were very impressed by, you know, Neve Bradbury's performance uh, so far this season. Um, you know, maybe we shouldn't be just all, you know, looking at SD Works for all of the potential rivals that we're going to, we're going to see this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess... The hope from what we've seen at Omloop is that there will be a little bit more comp- competition uh, as we go forward. I mean, we shouldn't look past the fact that SD Works have still been the dominant team this year so far. They've won seven races. Uh, riders will be coming into this year with slightly different form than they will have in previous years because of the Olympics, because the Tour de France fam is later on in the year. Goals have slightly changed. So I I, I think we should be careful about reading too much into just one from one race. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is encouraging that, that Lidl Trek seem to have options uh, on loop and Van Anroy um, uh, will be one to, and Longo Borghini will be ones to watch, I'm sure, at Strada Bianchi. Nivia Doma's been her same consistent self without quite having cracked a win this year. I'm sure she'll be she'll be up there too. Um, one, one rider I think that I'd be really keen to keep an eye on is uh, Puck Peterser because she was fifth last year having, I think that was pretty much her own road, only road race last season. And I think she's going to ride more on the road this year. She was uh, up there at Omloop and um, she could be a rider that could could spring a surprise and obviously has enormous potential. So I'm really excited to see what she she can do, not just at Strada, but over the, the coming weeks. Well, sorry to Neve Bradbury, who I set up there for Denny to talk about, and then he just didn't uh, bother. But um, yeah, well, um, there you go. I'm I'm not even going to give you the chance to talk about Neve Bradbury now, Denny, because you've squandered your chance. So, you know, when we find out that she's won all all the races between now and the next time we meet, 
then you'll you'll feel like annoyed that you didn't rue your chance to kind of put your cards on the table there. But you'll still look very very clever though. Because we know that you wanted to talk about her, but then there are so many other riders that you, that you wanted to talk about as well. Should we mention as well, actually, that uh, Cecilia Trubludvig mm. will not be at Strada Bianchi, which is a huge shame. She finished third there last year, didn't she? But she fractured her sacrum in a crash at Omelette Pet News Blad, so will be out for the foreseeable. No update from her team yet as to when she's likely to return to racing. But that's a huge shame, isn't it? Especially given the way that she likes to attack races. That's what we need at Strada Bianca. So she'll be a loss, I think. So I hope she gets better very soon. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, she has been on such fantastic form uh, recently. Uh, I won't get into another argument like I did last time about whether she's meeting expectations or falling short of expectations because you know I've been battered enough in the on loop discussion at the top of the show I need to take some a little bit of control back uh, as presenter of this podcast so um, with that um, guys thank you so much uh, for your time I think we should uh, leave it uh, there but Orla thank you so much for uh, returning and then and berating uh, me um, not sure when you'll be yeah, back you know how actually. you started the show by saying um, the door is always open yeah. did I hear a click yeah. of a key and a yes. lock halfway through that chat <laughs> So funny because I've been knocking ever since and nobody's coming to answer so we, we don't know when we'll see yeah, Orla you. next but you know she's had a good run hasn't she so. she's going to be very busy over the coming oh, weeks. Oh, thanks for having me for this one anyway. I like to go out in an argument. So at least I'm saying true to myself. Nice. That's going to be the worst way to go out. <laughs> it, was, it made a nice change for me, actually, because, uh, of course, the last time we, we did a show together, um, we, we Ola and I were, were rivals on the Christmas quiz. So yes. it's nice, to, yeah, we nice to have an um, opportunity to build some camaraderie. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's a nice way of saying it, Denny. We could also have said that you were the loser. Ooh. We'll go with rivals. <laughs> Denny's olive branch slapped away completely. Burns. Poor Denny's wow. face. I je- you know I didn't mean that. I hope you know well, I didn't mean that. I'm going to be chatting to Rose after this, this about is what, that door. This is- this is why my husband finds me so impossible. It's like everything, everything is just... A, a, a launch board for attack and competition. <laughs> <laughs> He's always like, you know, you don't have to take the mick out of me all the time. I'm not one of your brothers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Oh. It's just the Irish way. Sorry, no, sorry. It's, it's all good. It's all good. But uh, that door is looking a bit a bit dodgy now, <laughs> might, isn't it? The door might have even been burnt down. The whole building might have been burnt down Along to with the, the ground. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing's gone. It's a bit like one of those doors in, in Monsters, <laughs> Inc. You know, if you've seen that film... Yeah. Oh, yeah, where the door anyway. opens and it just to nowhere. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, all I... Anyway, that's been yeah, fun. So I, I would me. say it's been a pleasure, but I'm not, I might stop a little bit short of that. But, Denny, thank you very much for your... Um, well, you were ganging up on me as well, so actually both of you... We don't know when we'll see either of you uh, again, but uh, thank you for, you know, your service to the podcast um, so far. We don't know. It's as good as it gets. It might just be a monologue. Thank you for being for present. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, yes, thank you, Denny. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you, genuinely thank you, Orla, for coming back on. It's always <laughs> a pleasure welcome. to hear from you. And thank you both. It's been lovely. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.